take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For, for, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This evening we'll, Lord willing, with him being our help, be focusing on verse number four. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this evening, Lord, uh, petitioning you and, and, and begging for your presence in our service this evening. We've seen as we started to attempt to expound this on this powerful message that you preached all these years ago that strikes at the heart of the believer. We've seen last week what it means to be blessed, happy for those who are poor in spirit. Happy is the man or woman who have realized without you they are absolutely nothing. And this evening we attempt to understand what it means to see happy as the one who mourns for they shall be comforted. Lord, may in our hearts this evening you may stir in us again for a disdain for sin. Stir in our hearts again that uh, we will commit ourselves that in our hearts we will give no residence to sin. May we not live our lives with the heart of Judas, one that was filled with guilt, knowing that, it, knowing that he betrayed you, but yet never really seeing that you was also uh, the one who would deliver him from this great betrayal. May we never be like Saul who was focused upon his repentance so that he could stay face among the people of Israel. May our mourning not be like that of Ahab who in order to draw attention to himself ripped his garment and placed upon himself sackcloth and ashes. May we never be like that of those who 
mourn after the affairs of this life. But may we see what your desire was for your disciples there on this hillside, the desire for even our hearts today. May we be like Mary as we recognize uh, that day when she came to the tomb and she wept and said they had taken away her Lord. May we recognize this morning here that you're speaking of is a morning of sin, that which separates us from the presence of our Lord. Lord, stir in our hearts a reality of just how sinful sin is and the destruction that it causes in our lives. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We have before us this evening what is oftentimes called a paradox. It means that the statement that is presented before you seems to be contradictory to common sense. Yet, though it is contradictory to common sense, nevertheless, it is true. The Lord, speaking to his disciples, said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if we're going to find comfort in a state of mourning, I guess it brings us to the realization that we must first be mourning over the right things. Meaning that Jesus is not speaking about mourning over the loss of a loved one. He's not speaking about mourning over our finances. He's not speaking about mourning over our job situation. Yet, let me tell you with the right lens, comfort can be found in those situations also. Meaning that when you lose a loved one, when you put on a spiritual lens, we still have sorrow, but not as others that have no hope. Because we have Jesus, and we have this hope that we have in him, and we may mourn over our finances, meaning that we may lament and wish that they were more, that we could do more, that we could maybe go see more in this land that he has created for us to dwell in. We may mourn over finances, but we don't mourn as one who doesn't have no hope because we recognize through the spiritual lens, John chapter 14 and verse 3, our retirement plan is not here. And what we need to have a great retirement, he has already gone and prepared a place for us. We may mourn over our job situation about how miserable it may be or how we wish we could just have another job where we would be more appreciated. But with the spiritual lens, we recognize that this job that we have was given to us by the Lord. It is our field of service to him. And that though our employer may take us for granted, our heavenly father who placed us there does not take our labor for granted as we work there. You see, 
the spiritual lens. We are comforted in our mourning and the physical affairs of this life, but that's not what the Lord is after. Remember, he has brought the disciples here on the hillside and really struck at the core of who they are. He said, you are going to be most happy. Matter of fact, the Beatitudes means to be, as we said last week, perfectly happy. You are going to be perfectly happy when you realize that you have nothing to contribute to any value in your life, that outside of me, you are nothing. Blessed are those, happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those people who are not trying to satisfy themselves with the things of this life, but are happy in Jesus. But even more, he said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Remember, the Lord has given us this message about being perfectly happy. Happy are those who are grieved. Now, this does not mean that happy are those who, so to say, physically cry aloud, though that could also be involved. But this word, pentheo, that is used here, I mean, it can be illustratively given to us to help us understand just by the reference of when it was used in other texts. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when they are trying to explain there in Genesis chapter 23 and verse 2, when they're talking about how Abraham grieved over the loss of Sarah, it is the same word, pentheo. What the Lord is speaking about in regards to our sin, he says, blessed are those who look at sin the same way you would look at a situation if you was to lose your spouse. He said, blessed are those, when it's used again, Pentheo is used in Genesis chapter 37, when Jacob received the news that, that his brothers lied on him, obviously, but when Jacob received the news that Joseph was killed by a wild beast and they had found his coat of many colors covered in blood, Jacob rent his clothes, covered himself in ashes. The word that is used there is the same word that is used here in this aspect of mourning. This word was used in 1 Samuel when, in chapter 15 when, when Samuel, when it describes how Samuel wept bitterly over Saul's failure to obey the Lord. What I'm trying to convey is that in the Greek, there are nine words used to explain grief, to explain mourning, to explain sorrow. And yet, the deepest of these words to be used, the one that brings about the most stirring of the heart is the word pentheo which is the word in which the Lord uses here. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Lord says, the people who are blessed, who are so upset about the presence of sin in their life that it causes them to weep, 
that it causes them to have a contrite heart that causes them to be broken over their sin. Now, this is stirring because what the Lord is delivering to them and delivering to us even today is that there is a problem amongst believers, disciples, those who follow after the Lord that they can be involved in sin, around sin, and find comfort in sin in a manner in which they once did not. Maybe you can search in your own heart and in your own mind and think about the fervor you once had when you were saved. The things that you maybe once abstained from, the things that you would never fall prey to, the things that you would never even be found around. And yet today you find yourself maybe involved in the comfortable around it. The Lord is bringing to the disciples heart that as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should never leave the place where sin afflicts our hearts. We should never leave the place where sin grieves us. I mean, even to our very core. The Lord is saying, happy are those who mourn like this over sin. Happy are those who are, who are grieved over sin. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who've come to the realization. You see, this is a continuation. When you recognize that you are blessed when you're poor in spirit, meaning when, you're, when you recognize how much you desperately need the Lord and you get him, you will mourn over anything that separates you from him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But blessed are those who mourn because they don't want to sacrifice their relationship with the Lord. Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. We're all in desperate need of the Lord. We, we want him. We, we, we need him. But where there is sin, our fellowship is interrupted. I don't want to say our relationship, we are once saved, always saved. No one can pluck us out of the Father's hand. But there is the reality that sin interrupts our relationship with God. But salvation puts us in this place, I would say, of a, of a spiritual awakening. I mean, do you ever wonder how oblivious you were to spiritual warfare prior to the day that God saved you? I mean, when you're saved, we are spiritually awakened to the fact that we are desperately in need of the Lord, and yet we are brought to the reality of how weak this flesh is. We've seen this war in a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school about Romans chapter 7, where Paul said, I, I want to do good, but even when I try to do good, I recognize that evil is present with me. And though evil is present with me, I still make the confession that I hate sin. And even though I hate sin, I've also come to the recognition that that which I hate, that is what I do. A continual cry and downfall of our heart to the place where he cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, 
Who will deliver me from this body of death? You found yourself in Romans chapter 7, a man who is mourning over the presence of sin in his life. Mourning over the reality that he continues to battle with this old flesh. The mourning of a contrite heart. Or even more, as the writer of Hebrews said when he was upset, he said, lay aside any weight or sin that doth so easily beset us. I guess I could ask us this evening is, what is our view of sin? What is our, now nobody knows your heart. Nobody knows my heart except the Lord. But what is your personal view about the sin in your life? Now listen, Romans makes it clear. that We all have sin that comes short of the glory of God. But how do you view that sin? How do you view that moment where you recognize that you sinned against the Lord? How do you behave when you realize that you've grieved the Holy Spirit? Now, it's possible to become so hard that you continue in this manner, continue in sin without grieving. We see that even in the life of David. A man after God's own heart, he followed wholeheartedly after the Lord. But this man who was blessed by God was so caught up in sin that not only did he take another man's wife, but he sat down and put the pen to the paper and wrote a death warrant on another man's life. Many commentators and historians believe that this time in David's life where he was backslidden on the Lord was over in excess of a year. And he continued on in that manner, continued on in that sin, unrepentant, not mourning over it at all. But when God sent Nathan to David, and we know the story where Nathan tells David the story about the man who stole the one little sheep that this man had. David was angry over that man's sin, was he not? This is amazing. David was angry over that man's sin. Is this not striking to the heart of us that David was angry and driven to emotions over another man's sin, but was not driven to mourning by his own. I wonder how oftentimes we do so well at viewing other people's shortcomings to the Lord. We do well viewing other people's sin. We do well uh, being the judge and executioner of what should happen to them if they don't get it right. But David reminds us that it is possible to be so focused on someone else's mistakes that you fail to search your own heart according to scriptures. Blessed are they that mourn not over someone else's sin. Blessed are those that mourn over their own sin. Even more, David said in Psalms 31 when he was confronted with the news. 
when he was confronted with the word of God, Psalms chapter 31, David said, I have sinned against thee and thee alone. He began to mourn over his sin. And you know what happens? The psalm goes on to say that David confessed his sin. He confessed that he sinned against God and God alone. And before it's all over, David praises the Lord for the comfort he found in him. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. When is the last time we went to the Lord and prayed? I'm not talking about, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm talking about when we went before the Lord and like Luke 18 and said, oh, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. When, when is the last time? That we, as in Acts 2 said, when they heard the word of the Lord, when is the last time we heard the word of the Lord and we were pricked in our hearts about our sin? When is the last time that we can really say that we were driven to a hatred of sin? Hatred of it. When is the last time that we just sat down and cried out to God and hated the specific sins that we face in our life? One man said that most Christians love to sin in retail and ask forgiveness in wholesale. But more, what, what the Lord is speaking here is that we mourn over sin because we are intimately and acutely aware when we sin against God. And that the reality is, is that it produces the same mourning that Mary mourned when the Lord was not in the tomb. This is the same mourning that is produced in us when we go on with sin unaddressed in our life. It is to turn to the Lord and he's not there. Why is he not there? I mean, not in repentance. Obviously, they're in repentance, but meaning he's not there because fellowship has been hindered. You cannot walk with the Lord and sin in your life. But you know who can? The blessed man. The person who's blessed because they mourn over their sin. They're so close to the Lord that it grieves them and they mourn. And in repentance, they find comfort in the one they have sinned against. Even more, Jesus says here, blessed is the one who has professed their desperate need and mourns over the sin that interrupts the fellowship. Happy are those who are broken over this. Now, we live in a society that wants to combat this thought process. They say, this makes no sense at all. Happy is the person who is weeping, the person who's broken. They're the ones with the blessed life. No, happy is the person who has all that their heart desires. Happy is the person who has all of the things in, in this life. That's the kind of person who's happy. That has joy all the, the day long. Now this text makes no sense to them at all. 
But really from verse 1 to 2 to 3, we keep saying that the Lord is specifically applying this to a specific group. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, referencing those who believe. Now, the Lord is not calling us to be sinless because we understand that's just impossible. But what the Lord is definitely calling us for is to sin less. He's calling for us to, to live a life that, that we walk so close to the Lord that when we sin, we get broken over it. This is what it is. We ought to be ashamed over sin. Ashamed. Yet it's a struggle. It's we should be ashamed if we can lie on a regular basis and not be bothered by it, right? We should be ashamed that we can be in church with bitterness in our lives and not get it right. We should, we should be ashamed. We should be ashamed that we haven't been to the altar and confessed our sins. We should be ashamed that even if it ain't the altar in our church, the altar in our homes, it confessed our sins unto the Lord. We should be ashamed that, that week after week that people say, well, and we had this, you know, week after week, I've been here for the last year, and you know what? I'm starving. What arrogance is this that you can sit in the house of God under the teaching of God's word and you don't hear nothing that's applicable to you? Blessed are they that mourn who hear the word of God and search their hearts as they hear it. How did we ever become such a self-righteous generation of believers who have lost what it means to mourn over sin? We've lost touch with it. The things that used to make us cringe, eh, we don't cringe anymore. And we struggle. We all struggle. This is the reality of it all, without question. I mean, the statement here, simply given from the Lord to his disciples, is the reality that we will struggle. Why? Because he said, blessed are they that mourn. Mourn what? Over the sin. It is the reality that we, have, we will have sin in our life, but the people who are blessed are the ones who get it right. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Matthew chapter 18, further on in this book, what does Matthew tell us? He said, Brethren, when offenses come, we're going to find ourselves at times where we are the offender, where we are offended, where we find fault, where we are troubled, where we are in sin. But when we find ourselves there, it's not that we are wrong that we found ourselves there. But it, I mean, it's wrong, but, but it's more about what we do when we find ourselves there. We have to stop presenting a false image in our mind that this person should be perfect. I'm going to fail you. I don't want to, but I know I'm going to fail you. As your pastor, maybe as your friend, as a fellow brother in Christ, I am going to fail you. And you know what? If we're honest, we have all failed each other in some way or another. But we ought to mourn over that. We ought to, we ought to be bothered. We ought to be grieved by that. We ought to be 
immensely aware, as the hymn writer said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We ought to be aware of our own hearts. And if we would start viewing sin the way that God does, I believe that we would do a lot less of it. So what do we do? He says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What, what do we do, Pastor? I mean, I understand, but I mean, how do we live a life that is acutely aware of our sins? It is that we live a life close to the cross. As the old hymn says, near the cross. Near the cross. The closer we are to the cross, the closer our hearts are focused upon what the Lord did on Calvary. The closer our hearts, the more our hearts are focused on the judgment that was paid upon Calvary. The more our eyes are drawn to there, the more we will have a greater understanding of how God views sin. He views sin in such a manner that even at the cost of his own son, at the cost of his own son's life, that he was willing to give his son because of how he views sin. So next time you feel the urge to sin, look up on Calvary's cross and see the crown of thorns upon his head. Next time you feel the urge to partake in something that you once did not partake in, remember, look up on Calvary and see the, the nails in his feet and hands. Next time you feel the impulse to, to view a website that you shouldn't view, look up on Calvary's hill and, and see the wound in our Savior's side. Next time you go to sin, you stay close to Calvary, and as Satan seeks to tempt us and draw us into sin, let us never forget the cost that it took to forgive us of our sins. The sin in which Christ died upon Calvary was not just a wholesale sin. It was for every sin that Danny Holt would ever experience and do in his life, past, present, and future. All of the sin in my life was nailed to the cross. Next time we think about sin and see our Savior looking down upon us from a hill called Calvary, dying for the very sin that you're doing. We do well in society about mourning over the Bengals losing. We do well in society about mourning over grocery prices I heard all about today. We do well mourning over gas prices. We do well mourning over wages. But when is the last time we mourned over letting our Savior die? When is the last time we mourned over how sinful we are? Mourned that we let our Lord down and yet he's never let us down. 
I have come to one conclusion after the studying of this verse that any person who is honest with themselves about who they are before the Lord, they will have a consistent characteristic of mourning in their life. We will find ourselves in a constant state of mourning over our sins, mourning over our shortcomings, mourning about how we fail and how we sin before a thrice holy God. Spurgeon said to this, and I'll say this in closing. Spurgeon said, let a man once feel sin for half an hour, really feel its tortures. And I warrant you, he would prefer to dwell in a pit of snakes than to live with his sins. If you can look on sin without sorrow, then you have never looked on Christ. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have to really search our hearts, don't we? We have to search our hearts and ask ourselves, why are we repenting? Is it so that we can, so to say, stay face? Is it so that people can see us like we said with Ahab who rent his garments? Uh, do we repent like and say sorry because we know we've done wrong like Judas who who wept bitterly, betrayed the Lord, but he just could not believe. He just could not believe that Christ was bigger than the wound. He didn't believe that Christ could forgive him for this trespass. Yet he wept bitterly. We have to search our hearts and we have to dig down deep to fully understand that not only is mourning important, not only is mourning over sin important, but why we mourn is just as important. We mourn because we've sinned against a thrice holy God. We mourn because we've offended our Lord and Savior. We mourn because it is to treat what Christ has done on Calvary's hill as utterly disrespectful. It is to say that we deserve to be saved and there's nothing to be sorrowful about. It is to take for granted the atonement. It is to take for granted all that Christ has done for us. But for those, but for those who serve the Lord, and genuinely mourn and weep over their sin. For those, the Lord says, they're going to be comforted. For those who weep and are sick of sin, that so doth easily beset them, as Hebrews 12, 2 says. For people who recognize the great war that Paul recognized in Romans chapter 7 and said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? For people like that who cry out and say, I'm trying, but I keep failing. And, I, and the more I fail, the more I, I'm struggling. Lord, help me. Who's going to deliver me from it? Them, they're going to be comforted. 
if we'll just learn to mourn over our sins, I believe it will open up an opportunity in our lives to have a more joyful Christian life. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand here what you've delivered to us, this, this, this message that seems to strike at the hearts of all those who believe. Lord, may we never find a place of peace where we're in sin. May we never find comfort living a life of sin, Lord. May we every day get in your word, every time the word is opened. May we seek to hear what you have for us in our hearts. May we seek to apply the word as we read it and as we hear it. Prick our hearts and search our hearts, Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in us. More than anything we guard in this life, may we guard our relationship with you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.